As we continue in our Advent series, Joy Unmeasurable, I'd like to ask you to turn in your New Testaments to Luke 2, 8 through 20, a very familiar passage. And this is the very Word of God. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising Him for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. Now that's Luke 2, 8 through 20. If you add verses 1 through 7, you have what people generally in our culture call the Christmas story. In fact, I didn't want to read verses 1 through 7 because we always read the Christmas story every uh, Christmas Eve. And so I wanted to save a little bit for Christmas Eve and we're going to focus on the shepherds. But it's not just the Christmas story. There is that, that one-liner right in the middle, that, that kind of summary of what Christmas really is. And what is so wonderful is the one-liner comes directly from the throne of God. It's the first proclamation of what has happened in Bethlehem and what it means. And here it is, verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. That is what Christmas is about. It is about good news that produces great joy for all the people. So how did this good news come to the shepherds that were out in their fields that night? Um, Maybe we could say it this way. It came with definite shock and awe. There's not a lot to uh, distract you in that Judean place and those fields out there. It's very dark. There are no city lights. I'm sure the stars are beautiful. There's no flashlights at this time. I mean, maybe uh, every once in a while the t- 
tedious boredom of being a shepherd would be punctuated by the sheer terror of a wolf trying to kill one of your sheep. Or maybe a passerby would come through and suddenly there would be something different about this night than all the others. Maybe some weather would blow in. Maybe not. You know, I mean, they are these shepherds taking their turn. They're in the graveyard shift. They're, they're on the night patrol with the sheep and they are trying so hard not to fall asleep while they are keeping watch over their flocks. And suddenly, I mean just that fast suddenly, something happens that would change their lives forever and change human history forever. Have you ever had a moment that you imagined And you kind of recognized it when it was happening. You imagined that moment would change the course of your life. I was thinking about that uh, in my own life. I don't know that I've had a moment where I recognized that, but I certainly have looked back uh, on, on my 52 years here on the planet, and I thought, you know, there were specific moments that changed the course of my life. And I was thinking about this, and uh, I like to illustrate things. And I, and I thought about a commercial that I saw during the Auburn LSU game this year. Now, I'm an Auburn graduate, and it's one of these commercials. You know those really lame commercials that universities make about their university? They're like the worst commercials on television. You know, normally they go something like this. We have more people in lab coats with government grants to solve tomorrow's problem today. It's like yawn. You know, there's all these people, what is, all these people looking into microscopes on these commercials, and I guess we're supposed to feel really proud that, that you know, our, our university is at the vanguard of research. Well, I don't even, didn't even remember Auburn's commercial. I want to tell you, LSU knocked it out of the park that day. I don't know if you all remember this, if maybe you weren't watching the Auburn-LSU game. I tend to be one of few people that care about Auburn football around here. But I think they did play some other schools, uh, and I think that that, that that was actually probably shown. Um, a high school senior goes out to the mailbox. Did, how many, y'all remember this? Okay, yeah, thank you. A high school senior goes out to the mailbox. She's been going out to the mailbox every day. She opens the mailbox, and suddenly the course of her life is changed. And how do we know this? Because she opens the mailbox in the full force of LSU is in one acceptance letter that she pulls out of the mailbox. And as soon as she opens the mailbox, suddenly there is a professor instructing with a chalkboard right there in her yard. Suddenly there are LSU cheerleaders and whatever the mascot's name is, and he's jumping around. And then there are LSU football players hoisting one another up in the air as if they've just scored a touchdown. I watched this on YouTube. I can't remember all these details, by the way. Then the LSU marching band comes into the front yard. Then there are graduates with their uh, hats on, showing that she too one day will be a graduate. All this is being surveyed by the proud and elated parents who are on the front porch beaming because she is now going to their alma mater. After all, it's an LSU mailbox. And uh, I, we assume that her life is going to be radically different from that moment. We assume her life is going to be better from that moment, but it is LSU, so we're not exactly sure about that. <laughs> In our text, 
is something infinitely more amazing and transformative. In our text, is an acceptance letter. it is an acceptance letter. It is the acceptance letter of God for us, brought by God's messenger. I mean, in a flash, there is an angel of the Lord. Suddenly, the Judean countryside is just lit. We, we learn, we kind of see this. We don't see really the angel's face in the text. We see almost the angel's back. We see the glory of the Lord is just shining around the shepherds emanating from this angel. I mean, this is the Shekinah glory of God. It's that kind of glory that I've never seen before. It's that kind of light that is the holiness of God. It's that white, hot, holy, bright light of glory, more pure and bright and beautiful than anything you and I have ever beheld. One scholar says, you know, the the light that just knocked Paul off his horse could have been very similar to the light that the shepherds suddenly saw. The the light of the glory cloud in Exodus that lit the way could have been a a similar light to what the shepherds saw that night. But I'm going to tell you, in a flash, in a moment, it was happening, and it is happening now. And the world had been blindingly penetrated by the other world. It's shocking all. In verse 8, it says that they were watching over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were filled with great fear. And yes, they should be. And they were shaken in their Birkenstocks right there for sure. And I can imagine, you know, these are simple country folk. I imagine one or two of them just let out a scream. Don't you think, ah! And it's not in the text, but I imagine that. But the angel of the Lord, in the midst of all this glory of holiness and the Shekinah glory of the Lord, tells them, don't be afraid. Why? And it's the message of Christmas. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, see, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. This is about the good news that brings great joy that is for all the people. And I'd like to look at those. Maybe we catch something of the beauty of the gospel, of the good news, and the joy of Jesus for our Christmas season. First of all is the good news. Now, I know you could never discern this from the television commercials, from the radio commercials, but um, the meaning of Christmas is the gospel. In fact, the word good news here is the same word that is gospel. Christmas is about the gospel. Behold, I bring you gospel. Good news is what the angel says. Now, you understand the the Old Testament was all about the good news as well. And that's what all those lambs that were slain and, and all these animals, it was all picturing the Messiah, the rescuer, the anointed one who would come and, and actually do the rescuing. But let me, let me tell you what's different about this. This is the first proclamation of the fact that he's here. Long awaited, millennia awaited, he is here. In fact, some scholars believe that the birth actually happened simultaneously 
with the announcement to the shepherds that when, when Jesus was born, we don't know this, Jesus was born, the angel said, He's here now. And this is, this is amazing. He has come. The Savior is here. The Rescuer is here. Verse 11. Listen to these words. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. All this is Old Testament language. All this is about the Messiah. Savior, who is the son of David, who is, will sit on David's throne, is born in the city of David, just as the Old Testament said would happen. And then there's, He is Christ the Lord. I mean, this is an incredible Old Testament designation. You know, Jesus is the Greek word for Savior. That's what the word Jesus means, Savior. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, the anointed one from God who would come and, and establish His rule over all. So Jesus Christ means the Savior who is the Messiah. But here He says, a Savior's been born in the, the city of David and He is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. He is the Messiah who is Yahweh. God has come to the rescue. And, and listen to these words of the Gospel. Born to you. Isn't that wonderful? Born to you, right now, this day, is a little baby, just born, and in his tiny little hands, he holds the future of humanity. He is the one. And he is here. And here's how you'll be able to find him. God gives them a sign you will find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, I know that we read the Christmas story, and sometimes we just kind of let that flow, you know, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. You know, if you stopped and really thought about it, you'd go, What? God wrapped in common swaddling clothes, wrapped like a little mummy, basically, in, in like the most common uh, available kind of cloth like anybody can have, no special treatment, if you will. What God placed in a feeding trough? you got to be kidding me. I mean, you know like your dog dish at home? You know like the one that has slobber all in it? That, I'm sure she cleaned it, that's exactly where Mary placed Jesus, in a wooden feeding trough where the cows fed. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, we read it so fast, we, we don't stop and go, whoa, those two don't go together. The Savior from the son of house of David, who is Christ Yahweh, stop, swaddling clothes, placed in a feeding trough. I'm going to tell you something. This is the whole point of the good news, of the gospel. Born to you this day. God is humbling Himself to rescue us. God in human flesh is what this is about. I'm going to tell you a greater paradox than a human baby that should never be put in a feeding trough. You people that are going to have babies, if they're pregnant, do not put your child in a feeding trough. You know what's a greater paradox than a human baby put in a feeding trough? is God in human flesh. 
And this shows the humiliation of God. This is the gospel. I have good news for you that the Messiah has come. But it's good news, secondly, with great joy. It produces great joy. One of the old scholars says, the angels say, fear not, gospel is here. Good news, gospel elicits joy, not fear. And so the question I have for you is, do you want joy? I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal, one of the places I like to get my news. This is a short little article, December 10th this week, that talked about um, what kind of purchases make people happiest. It's kind of a survey of people that talk about the, the, the things they have received uh, that have actually made them feel better over a longer period of time than other things they've received. So do you all want to know which Christmas gifts make you happiest? The Wall Street Journal will supply the answer. And it turns out that um, the gifts that make us the happiest are the ones who have power to give a lasting memory with people. Okay, so it's gonna, it turns out that it's very relational as opposed to just an item. In fact, I just love the language. I'm going to quote from the article. Quote, just purchasing things, we could call it stuff, beautiful stuff. Just purchasing things makes you momentarily elated. Don't you love that language? It's so right. It makes you momentarily elated. And then the Wall Street Journal says, but it doesn't last. And then he goes on to say, then we get into a vicious cycle because we need more consumption to fill that void. That is downright insightful. The article goes on to say that some of the best purchases that you can make are those that will establish memories with people that you care about. Somewhere you might go something you might do, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in this article. Maybe we could even say how we might could actually go and serve, maybe serve the poor together, maybe give in, in that process as well. That might be something more lasting than just, you know, the, the trinket that we get in 27 and a half days, we don't even think about it anymore. So what do you want for Christmas? This is something infinitely better than anything money can buy. This, this gospel, this God to the rescue, God humbling Himself to give relationship to us, this produces something that's not momentary elation, but great joy, we read in the text. I, behold, I have good news of great joy. This is a relational joy. Remember the, the article said that the best gifts are relational? i got one that's even better, a relationship with God that is eternal, that is underneath, and, and that joy doesn't go away because the, the big answer to the final question is answered and relationship is given to sinners who don't deserve it and love and sonship, adoption, acceptance forever. Hallelujah. This is wonderful. This is joy. This is how I face tomorrow. This is who is in my life. And things will disturb that joy, but that joy is always underlying because that relationship is there. And He will never leave me and He will never forsake me. This is good news 
of great joy. In fact, the joy of God in Christmas is incarnated into human flesh. That's what it is. Joy has come to us. Well, we know it's about joy because in the passage, suddenly, all heaven breaks loose, so to speak. You know, the one angel with the glory, you remember the, the Shekinah glory, stadium-like kind of glory, but more? Now, suddenly, there's a lot of suddenlies in this passage, isn't there? Now, suddenly, along with the angel are thousands upon thousands of angels. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's been pointed out that no other human being in the scripture, no other human being in history before or since have witnessed this many angels all at once. This is huge. It's the first proclamation of the fact that Christ the Lord, the Savior, the Son of David is here. And joy is here. Can you imagine these shepherds? Can you imagine what they saw? Can you imagine what they heard? I mean, I know we say singing, you know, the text kind of doesn't say singing. The text kind of says shouting or exclaiming. But either way, it must have just been deafening of the praises of God. And the heart rate of these smelly shepherd bubbas must have just been redlined. In the middle of this, I mean, can you just see them? They're just grinning with rotten teeth and they are adding their own hallelujahs. They're getting carried away with the, literally the joy of heaven. You see, the angels get it, don't they? We don't always get it. The angels go, you know what? This comes direct from God. God Himself is coming here. Angels long to look into the, the real final meaning of what it means to be a son of God, a daughter of God. Angels don't even have that. Angels are breaking loose with rejoicing. And then suddenly, again, third suddenly, they're gone. And I imagine the shepherds still shouting and all of a sudden, kind of like when the music goes off and you're singing at the top of your voice and everybody goes, oh, okay. Uh, they were just, they were keeping on going. And the angels suddenly vanished. But their joy didn't vanish. And we see this in the text. Their joy motivates them. And we'll get there. So, what's Christmas about? It's about the gospel, the good news that produces great joy. And then finally, for all the people. You know, if, if we lived in that culture, we would understand something very profound. Again, in the 21st century, we don't get this. Because we see shepherds as, you know, really kind of sweet, pastoral, you know, type people. We think of the 23rd Psalm and, and all this type of thing about shepherds, but that is not at all the way shepherds were viewed in this culture. I'm talking about professional shepherds. I'm not talking about people who watch their own sheep, like David and his brothers. I'm talking about, you know, like the cowboys in the West who lived in the bunkhouse and went to town and did unspeakable things all the time? Um, you know, that's the kind of people this, these were. And so, you know, you say, and shepherds were out in the field. And God, if you were in the first century, you'd say, whoa, time out. Shepherds? 
You're telling me after thousands of years of waiting and longing, the first people to see this and to hear this are shepherds? This is the second manger, you know, was the first. You've got to be kidding me. No. The New Geneva Bible study notes are very helpful here. It says shepherds were a despised class because their work prevented them from keeping the ceremonial law. They were always traveling and going and weren't in the rhythms of the temple. They had this tendency um, to say, no, that sheep is mine, not yours. And under oath, they had a tendency to not tell the truth. Uh, it goes on to say they were considered unreliable and were not allowed to give evidence in a court of law. To them? Mm -hmm. In our current culture, if, if I could give you like an equivalent, it would be like if, if Christ were born now instead of then, it would be like the angels appearing to migrant farm workers out in the field. To illegal alien migrant farm workers. I say illegal alien just because the shepherds were kind of like considered a little bit like alien. You know, they're, they're different. They're, that's those people. Let me tell you something. These shepherds loved God. These shepherds, we should not broad brush stroke people like that. We shouldn't say that all shepherds are liars and they're not all liars. And we shouldn't just talk about migrant farm workers either like that. But if God Himself through His angel appeared first... To the Mexican migrant farm workers in the field, what would we say? What? To them? Yes. You see, that gospel and that gospel joy is for all the people, including shepherds including migrant farm workers. This is proven, this is demonstrated by the fact that, that God revealed this through His angels to shepherds. They're kind of like a, an everyman. You know, like in, in some of the movies and stuff, there's a figure like Forrest Gump or something like that. There's a, he's like a, well, maybe not him. He's like an everyman. Joe the plumber, remember him? He was kind of like an, an everyman. But mainly what it, it means is this. The bandwidth of God's grace is total. Let me say that again. The bandwidth of God's grace does not exclude you. That's good news for people like us. That's good news for people that need grace. And the shepherds help us understand this. One scholar states, in the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, there is the message not only that there is a God, but that God comes very near to us. He goes on to say, to believe in God is one thing. To believe that He is above us, to believe that God is a sufficient strength for us is another and more inspiring, but to believe that God is not only almighty, and not only all-sufficient for us, but that God is with us. That God is is the one who is near. That God is the understanding one, the intimate one. This is the best of all. You do know in the triumphal entry 
They were hoping that Jesus would turn out to be the one that they were kind of looking for, and they missed Jesus because Jesus wasn't born in an alabaster palace. Jesus wasn't born behind armed guards. And they crucified Him because He wasn't the one that would demonstrate immediate superiority, immediate political destruction of the enemies of Israel, right? Well, don't worry. The second coming, Jesus will not be the Lamb. He will be the Lion of Judah, and nobody will mistake His power, authority, or glory. But in His first coming, it just fills me with wonder. God is saying, I don't just want your admiration. I don't just want you to ask, what can I do for you? I want you. And so I've come for you. Yes, you, shepherd. I've come for you. I've come to be one of you. I mean, this is amazing. I will show myself in the most humble circumstances imaginable so you get the point that I want you. In fact, I will not only be placed in a rough-hewn manger trough, I will be nailed to a rough-hewn Roman cross for you because I love you even you. Does that not melt your heart? That's the meaning of this. God incarnate is shown by God in a stable. God the humble. God who does not demand that we climb some seven-story mountain to behold Him, but God who seeks us even to death as one of us. It is incredible. And their response, verse 15, when the angels went away, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened. And that just sounds a little bit more flowing than these guys might have said. They might have said, RT, we need to go now. And RT said, I let's go. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And you know, Mary must have been so relieved. The angel Gabriel appeared to her. The angel Gabriel had not shown up for nine months and it was a hard nine months, and she endured travel right there, ripe and ready, pregnant, and she, there was no room in the Holiday Inn, and she was in the shed to have this baby. And wasn't it, wasn't it great when the shepherds came in and said, the angel Gabriel met with us. In fact, the only reason we found you is because you were in this stable, and that baby was in the manger. We've been looking in every stable in Bethlehem. This is for real. And this is where, why it says Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. Can you imagine just how affirmed and, and how just her faith was just helped by this? And when they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered, were filled with wonder 
what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then lastly, we find out that the shepherds return to their ordinary life, if you will, glorifying God, praising God, and uh, for all that they had seen and all that they heard. What do we see the shepherds doing? We see the shepherds telling everybody and worshiping God. And so can you. Because that's another thing about the reality of this joy. It's not like our private stock. It's not just to make our lives more stable, um, more palatable, richer, more psychologically okay. No, it, it connects this joy, this Savior connects us with God. This is love. This is the meaning of life. And when we have this joy, there is something dynamic about it, and it literally is not supposed to sit there. And the shepherds show us that you can tell other people, because that, folks, is when the joy of Christmas not only is grasped, but multiplied. I want you to come up close with me to the manger. You see the baby in the manger? Let me tell you, that child is our Savior. That is Christ the Lord. That child is our peace and our acceptance with God. That child is our good news and our highest joy. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all the people. And may the joy of Jesus come into this world for you as you. May his joy be yours. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see the paradox that you would take on human flesh, that you would actually serve us rather than simply demanding that we serve you. Help us to see the paradox of the Messiah, Yahweh, placed in a manger and be convinced yet again of your unfathomable love demonstrated by your humility and condescension and willingness to be one of us in order to save us. Oh Lord, we pray that your joy would not only be renovated in our hearts of a kind of Christmas joy, but that you'd help us to spread that joy in showing and telling the gospel. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.